This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. This is Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. On today's episode of Gospel Bound, we're featuring a clip from an interview between TGC senior writer Sarah Zalstra and her guest, Alex Harris, about his experience clerking for two U.S. Supreme Court justices and editing Harvard Law Review, his brother Josh's high-profile deconstruction of his faith, whether evangelicals invest too much import in presidential politics, and, believe it or not, much more. Uh, to hear the full episode, head to TGC Podcast Episode 166. That's TGC Podcast Episode 166, or click the link in today's show notes. Hi there. This is Sarah Zylstra, Senior Writer for the Gospel Coalition. My job is to find and report on places where God's Spirit is at work in the world. So I hear a lot of stories about Christians who are living sacrificial, joyful, God-glorifying lives, and I'm excited to share this one about Alex Harris with you. It's fair to say we're coming out of a hard year. Everything we've done for the past 12 months has taken more effort and resulted in less productivity. It's harder for teachers and pastors to communicate online, and it's less effective for people to listen and learn that way. It's more difficult to look after an elderly loved one when you can't visit them, and they feel less cared for. It's more challenging to breathe and speak through a mask than without one. We've expended a lot more energy doing things that were normally nearly effortless, going to the grocery store, spending time with friends, figuring out how to exercise. Perhaps we would have been better prepared if we'd all read a book Alex Harris wrote with his brother Brett a dozen years ago called Do Hard Things. In it, Alex and Brett proposed that doing hard things prepares you to do even harder things. You should get up early, they said. Step out of your comfort zone. Do more than what's required. Find a cause. Be better than your culture expects. That way, when a pandemic sweeps in, or your brother deconstructs his faith, or your wife gets sick, you won't collapse. Your foundation, built on one faithful decision after another, will be sturdy. Your muscles of obedience to the Lord, strengthened by constant use, will be able to handle the load. This is the theme of Alex Harris's life. I met him and Brett six years ago when I wrote their story for the Gospel Coalition. When my editor Colin Hansen and I wrote our new book, Gospel Bound, Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age, we filled it with stories, and Alex and Brett were an obvious inclusion. Their lives have been an exceptional example of Christians who live bound to the gospel, trusting in Jesus as they do hard things. 
After they finished high school at age 16, Alex and Brett clerked with the Alabama Supreme Court and organized a statewide grassroots political campaign. Then they started a blog, coined the revolution movement against low expectations, wrote their book, Do Hard Things, and spoke at conferences. And that was all before they turned 20. So I grew up about 15 miles outside of Portland, Oregon, and we lived on nine acres of heavily wooded land surrounded by many more acres of forest. And so uh, me and my six siblings, we spent a lot of time outside exploring the woods, using our imaginations, uh, rescuing and trying to tend to injured wild animals. And then the rest of the time we were inside uh, reading books, putting on skits and making home movies. We didn't have a TV growing up. And so kind of all of our uh, activity was, was much more active and mind engaging. And, and we were homeschooled. So uh, this was a very kind of un- orthodox, not, not a structured approach to education, but education was kind of woven into everything that we did. This was before homeschooling conferences and curriculum and online support. Alex's dad, Greg, was a pioneer in the movement. More than 180,000 families went through his homeschool workshops and seminars in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and then my oldest brother, Josh, who's 13 years older than, than my twin brother and I, uh, in the late 90s, he wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which coincided with kind of the true love weights movement and kind of broader uh, you know, purity culture movement uh, in evangelical circles and just became this kind of surprise, runaway, best-selling book, sold over a million copies. So growing up, you know, virtually all of my friends were homeschooled because of my parents and they weren't allowed to date because of my brother. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the influence of, of my family on, on so many people, even if it, you know, was largely just within evangelical or even, you know, smaller homeschool circles was just very obvious throughout my childhood. And, you know, I think, you know, for a lot of people that could be, you know, a very limiting or, or a, a burden. You could feel like you're kind of under the shadow of these well-known uh, family members. And, and for whatever reason, I think it was the kindness of God. Brett and I, uh, we, didn't, we didn't take it that way. I think we took it more as like mom and dad, they're normal, imperfect people. Our big brother, Josh, he's, he's a very normal, imperfect big brother. Uh, you know, if God can, can use them to, to further the work of his kingdom, then, then he could use us too. The twins enrolled at Patrick Henry College, took first place in the Moot Court Nationals, and wrote another book. They dated and married their wives and cared for their mother throughout her journey with colon cancer until she suddenly passed away. You know, she was the driving force, the glue, the, the, the rock, whatever analogy you want to use for our whole family. Found out um, in the spring that she had stage four colon cancer and she passed away on the 4th of July. So it was very quick, very sudden. Uh, she had, we assume, known something was going on for, for perhaps years and had not told anyone, not told my dad or, or any of us that something was happening. And so it was just out of the blue, you know, huge, huge loss um, and took a lot of wind 
out of all of our sales as a, as a family. And that's a hard thing that we didn't choose, obviously, but a hard thing that we experienced. After college, Alex headed off to Harvard Law School. He and Brett had been the first in their family to graduate from college. Alex was now the first to attempt graduate school. Um, it's neat to be in, in Boston and Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. And uh, at the same time, there were, there were challenges. I, mean, I was one of the few kind of you know, vocal, identifiable evangelical Christians on campus. It was the first time I'd been in a kind of a majority non-Christian environment. So that was an adjustment. And I was also a new father and a husband, and, and that was unusual. Um, there, was, there were others, but, but we were a very small minority of the students at Harvard. And so figuring out how to balance the incredible demands academically of a, of a school like Harvard with being faithful as a husband and a father required some kind of intentional decisions, you know, intentional boundary setting uh, where you know I basically treated law school as if it were not a nine to five because that was not quite enough time, but you know as early as possible, you know, even into the wee morning hours until dinner time was kind of when I would do my work and then try to be home for dinner, do bedtime with my daughter, have time with my wife uh, every evening, and to not let school just kind of spill over into every nook and cranny, which is what it would do if, if you let it. And that was required some level of discipline. Alex owned law school. He won a Sears Prize, which meant his GPA was one of the top two in his class. He worked for the Harvard Law Review, one of the most coveted positions on campus. He graduated magna cum laude and then clerked for Judge Neil Gorsuch and Justice Anthony Kennedy. In 2017, Alex was named one of Forbes magazine's 30 Under 30. And then, finally, he started actually practicing law. He knew that was going to be hard, too. The legal profession as a, as a whole, you know, it's a, it's a service industry in an increasingly connected age through technology. Uh, so you are never truly off the grid or, or off call. And uh, there's a never-ending amount of work. Uh, to do. And there's a lot of pressure and expectation, both personal. Uh, a lot of lawyers tend to, to be you know, type A overachievers who, who put a lot of pressure on themselves. Uh, and then from other attorneys, partners, and, and from clients. And so when I was coming out of law school, I actually you know, did some research, I actually took a class on the legal profession in law school, where the, the numbers in terms of depression and substance abuse and divorce and just general unhappiness for the legal profession, uh, as you might imagine, is, is just very high. And so there are kind of built in dangers. And, you know, one of the things I did to to address that was to, to go to a law firm that has a different model that that mitigates a lot of the most draining uh, aspects of how a lot of big law firms work. But some of it is just choosing to set boundaries, even even still seeking to have some autonomy, seeking to to view my job not as the the sum total of who I am and and my worth, but as as a means to serve others, but also to to enable you know a lifestyle of of generosity that I might not otherwise be able to to do and kind of making it fit into that kind of broader vision of vocation, not just profession, but vocation has been has been important. In addition to tricky litigation cases and spending time with his family, Alex donates his free time to pro bono cases. 
that has been the highlight of, of my time in, in legal practice. I've, I've gotten to work on some really um, exciting high profile cases, but the most important one was a pro bono case for a woman who was fleeing for her life from a country in South America, from a drug cartel member who had threatened to, to murder her and her family. Um, had attempted to, to rape and kill her previously. And then when she testified in court against him uh, and he was released by a, a corrupt judge who we believe was bribed, he was ready to carry out on his threat. And she fled with her, her niece who she had raised uh, since she was just a young child uh, as her daughter. And you know this was kind of at the height of the family separation crisis at the border uh, when many Christians, many evangelicals, just kind of reacted appropriately with, with horror at, uh, at what was happening and sought to get involved in various ways. And as an attorney, you know, feeling like, wow, I have a unique set of, of skills and abilities to, to, to do something here. And so through some great local organizations here in the Denver area, some of which run by, by, by Christians, uh, we were able to get involved, represent her uh, in her seeking asylum in the United States. Uh, in the end, she was granted asylum, complete asylum on, it, on every ground that we put forward. And the judge said she was the most compelling and, and credible witness that he, he had ever seen. At the same time Alex was flying through a legal career, Brett fell off the grid, literally. His wife, Anna, was diagnosed with Lyme disease and developed issues with toxic mold. So that she could breathe, they left their home and all their belongings and fled to the desert, where they spent months living in a tent or a van as they tried to rebuild Anna's health. Uh, what's remarkable is that it has done that. She has substantially improved. She is dancing again. Um, they have been able to settle uh, in, in southwestern United States and actually in, in a house and, and have some sense of stability and permanence, uh, which had you know, not been true for, for the last several years. And you know, Brett has, you know, throughout this time, been Anna's primary caregiver and been forced to scramble and to seek to provide for his wife by doing things that don't require uh, a reliable internet connection. Because you know, when you're in the middle of, of Death Valley, there's no easily accessible Wi-Fi. But now that they have a little bit more, more stability, uh, he's been able to focus more on the work that he's doing, which is really, really neat stuff. He is working with young, uh, aspiring Christian authors who want to change the world with their words, training them and seeing some really remarkable success stories come out of that program. Brett, if he'd wanted to, he, he could have gone to law school and, and done these clerkships and, and worked at a, at a law firm. And, and you know some of the things that I've been able to do, and yet instead... He's just been a faithful husband and you know, his faith and faithfulness through that trial, as well as Anna's faithfulness through her incredible suffering, are, are just a source of endless inspiration. 